so would you all stand as you're able for our scripture reading this morning? And we've been in the book of Colossians. So we're, this morning we're going to look at Colossians 3, uh, just a few verses here. Hear the word of the Lord. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You may be seated. Amen. And if you are just joining us, today is the final sermon in a four-part series on the book of Colossians titled, Christ is Everything. And we've been learning a lot, looking through a lot of the scripture, uh, and the picture we see of Jesus in Colossians is a cosmic Christ, this creator who fills the whole universe. He is all-encompassing, right? All things have been created through him and for him. And he is all-sustaining. In him, all things hold together. And he is the very image of the invisible God. So if anyone wants to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. Because God is most clearly revealed in Jesus, not human rules or religions or traditions, not even doctrines or beliefs. The clearest picture of what God is like is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is all amazing stuff. But if we're being honest, some of us might be here wondering, so what? I mean, we have a lot going on, right? We have our futures to worry about. Some of us are just getting by day to day. And we have work and school and family and relationships and financial pressures and a ton of shows on Netflix to catch up on. What does Jesus have to do with my actual life? And the answer, I believe, is, and I'm sure you know what I'm going to say, everything. Jesus said he came that we might have life that is truly life. Life to the full. So Jesus is the answer to all of life's most important and enduring questions. Like, who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And all the way back, Throughout the ages, back in ancient times, the Greek philosophers also said, know thyself. But that is easier said than done. So growing up as a product of the 80s uh, and 90s, right? Um, yeah, this was my life. I've gone through my share of unfortunate clothing and hairstyle trends, okay? Um, and that's not me, by the way. Um, I, I, the caption says 80s. What the hell were we thinking, okay? <laughs> and as I mentioned before, I spent some of my high school years uh, going to foreign school in Seoul, Korea. Uh, and my friend and I would compete uh, every, in the mornings to see whose hair could be tallest. Okay, like you heard that right, tallest. Okay? Uh, I don't have any pictures of that unfortunate face, uh, too bad. Uh, but I do have a picture of me uh, from 1990, okay? Uh, when I was uh, still going to school in New York City, and I'm sure you can all agree, you know, I was pretty cool. Um, but on the inside, I, I was just like any other awkward, insecure teenager. 
And the truth is, I lacked a sense of identity. I didn't really know who I was. And so I looked to others to tell me. I would try to fit in and gain acceptance, you know, by talking a certain way and dressing a certain way and acting and walking a certain way. And now, of course, it seems silly, right, that some clothes and an attitude and tall hair could make up for a lack of self-esteem or a sense of identity. Yet, you know, as we grow older, the ways that we cover up or make up for our insecurities don't actually change that much from when we were younger. Our methods now might be more sophisticated, but we still have the same tendency to try to define ourselves by external things, right? We still hope wearing the right clothes or having the right possessions or knowing the right people might make us feel important or liked. We might hope that having the right career or right degree might help us feel successful. We hope dating the right person might allow us to feel loved. Or maybe joining the right group might make us feel like we belong. And so to be clear, None of these things are necessarily bad. These things might even be important, like even necessary parts of who we are. They're just not enough. No amount of money or prestige or entertainment can make up for an empty soul. No accomplishment, no matter how great, can bring us peace if we are not at peace within ourselves. No relationship, no matter how intimate, can cure our loneliness if we don't know that we are already loved. When we have no sense of who we are, no sense of identity on the inside, we'll just manufacture one on the outside. So we'll seek external validation to fill an internal void. So we put on these external identities as cover in order to feel better about ourselves or feel like we're enough. One way that I compensate for my sense of inadequacy is by being good at things, okay, by being awesome. In other words, I have a tendency to find my identity in competence and excellence and hard work. As a result, I struggle with perfectionism and I am prone to overworking. I'm a chronic overfunctioner. Because, deep down, I believe I am what I do. Maybe some of you can relate. So I'm always pushing and critiquing and being hard on myself. If someone were to offer me any validation or affirmation about something, my knee-jerk reaction is, you know, eh, it was all right. could have been better. It's kind of an exhausting way to live, right? Uh, I've made a lot of progress with this in recent years, but to be honest, it's still an ongoing work of healing in me. Our external identities are what Thomas Merton called the false self. Not because they're necessarily bad, but because they're simply not the truest parts of who we are. And so Merton described this false self as an illusion. Right? Think of it as this superficial construct of who we are, a temporary label. I'm a student. I'm a worker. 
or, or an entrepreneur. I'm a husband, I'm a mother, etc. The thing is, we actually need these external identities in order to live and function in the world. The problem is that they tend to be fleeting and fragile. Because what happens when we don't do as well in the class that, that we had hoped? Or get laid off? Or get divorced? Or have difficulty with pregnancy or parenting? Sometimes we might face what we often call an identity crisis. It's something, it, 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 it's something that when, you know, something that we used, that used to give us a sense of, wow, I jumbled that all, all over the place. It's when something that used to give us a sense of security gets taken away or fails us in some way. And so often the false self is something we put on to hide the fact that we are afraid, vulnerable, or feel disconnected from God or from others. It's kind of like a mask. Our false self is who we are when we're operating out of fear, shame, or even anger. It's who we are when we're not sure who we are. Whenever we crack an awkward joke at the expense of someone else, or tell a white lie in order to save face, or snap at someone when we're frustrated, or react defensively to something someone said. Whenever we say or do things that we might regret and later you know, wonder, why did I do that? Or why did I say that? That is usually the false self at work. Henri Nouwen uh, wrote about five lies of identity. I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people say or think of me. I am nothing more than my worst moment. We might define ourselves by our failures and live with a sense of shame. Or I am nothing less than my best moment. We might define ourselves by our successes and live with this constant need to perform and compare. I want to invite you to take a moment to look at this list and reflect on which ones can you relate to. What are the lies about your identity that you believe? These are all lies that we can easily get trapped in when we don't know who we are. Have you ever wondered, who am I? Have you ever felt lost or incomplete or disappointed with yourself or have ever wondered who you are and who you're supposed to be? Then I encourage you to listen carefully to what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Colossians today. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul makes this matter-of-fact statement. Since you died with Christ, and then a few verses later in chapter 3, he says, you have been raised with Christ. And I don't know about you, but I don't remember the time when I died and came back to life. Right? That doesn't seem like something I'd forget. Right? So what is Paul talking about? Remember back in chapter 1, Paul reveals the mystery of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When Paul says Christ in you, he's talking about our mystical union with Christ. 
Basically, Christ in us means we are one with Christ. So in some mysterious way that we don't have to understand completely, when Christ died, it means we also died with him. And when Christ rose to new life, we also rose with him. And so as a result of being raised into this new life in Christ, Paul tells us, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so we're supposed to set our hearts and minds on things above, which seems clear enough, right? Actually, that's not very clear at all, right? What exactly are these things above that he's talking about? Right? Heaven, you know, clouds, angel wings, we don't know. At least Paul tells us where these things are. He says these things are above where Christ is, where he's seated at the right hand of God. So imagine somewhere in the heavenly realms, whatever that means, Christ is seated on his throne next to God the Father. And it sounds like he has something for us, which is kind of exciting, isn't it? It's like a surprise. Like, what could it be? And Paul tells us, in verses 3 and 4. He says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What is this thing Christ has hidden for us? The answer is, your life. Your life, the thing that is hidden with Christ right now, is you. Let me try to explain. See, Paul uses this Greek word for life, zoe. It's rightly translated life in English. But this is not just life in a physical, biological, alive sense, right? But a spiritual one as well. The way this word is used here, it means fullness of life or vitality, or the way someone might say, now this is the life, that kind of life, the life all of us long for. And Paul is saying, Christ is your life, your zoe, your true identity, who you are and why you're here is Jesus. Jesus is life. Jesus is your life. What Paul is saying is that the old you, the false self, has died with Christ. The real you, your true self, is right now hidden with Christ, in Christ. It's already there. It just hasn't been fully revealed yet. And when Christ returns and is revealed in glory, you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says in Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. All creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So just consider this for a moment. That person that you see when you look in the mirror isn't you. It isn't the true you. It's only a dim reflection of who you really are and who you're meant to be. This life, all, with all of its sin and brokenness and suffering and all of those effects, 
isn't the real you. The real you, everything you were created to be by God's design is still hidden and waiting to be revealed. And the good news is that one day you will become fully you. That is a promise that can give us great hope. And so what does that mean for us in the meantime? Does that mean we just lounge around until Jesus comes back? We're going to be revealed, right? No. It is in this context that we read the following verses, starting in verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. If we take this out of context and just look at this passage alone, this could look like just another list of do's and don'ts, right? But that's not what this is about at all. These are not just a bunch of rules and regulations and requirements to induce more guilt and shame or to encourage legalism. Remember, these are the very things Paul's been speaking against throughout the entire letter. What Paul is saying is Christ is your life. Now here's what that life looks like. He's writing these things so that we can know who we truly are. All these things Paul is listing are products of the false self. They're all attempts to make up for what we feel like we're lacking. We might seek sexual gratification when we feel disconnected and lonely. We pursue more and more possessions because we feel empty inside. We get angry and attack others when we feel insecure or threatened or out of control. Basically, this list is who we all are at our worst. It's our false self. It's not who we were meant to be. And I'm sure it's not who any of us want to be, right? Paul continues, in verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with his practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He's saying, take off all this junk. Take off the false self. This isn't you. Put on the new self, the real you made in God's image. And he continues, all these labels you used to use to define yourselves, Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, they don't matter anymore because Christ is all and is in all. Christ is all that matters. Christ is everything. He is your true life and identity. I'm sure many of us have seen those makeover shows. Right, where style experts give a disheveled-looking man right, a new haircut, some new clothes. And despite it being kind of superficial, you know, they work some behind-the-scenes magic, and when they're done, they do this big reveal. Right? They show the before and after, and it's like he's a new man. And of course, they didn't actually change the man. They just brought out more of what was already there. And likewise, Paul says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, and kindness, 
humility, gentleness, and patience. He's talking about a spiritual makeover. Put on compassion. Try on kindness and forgiveness for size. Put on love that just brings it all together. Now that is so you. Now you look like someone who is holy and dearly loved. Someone who knows who they are. When we follow Christ, it's not about trying to become someone that we're not. It's about becoming more of who we really are. So like when you put on a perfectly tailored suit or a dress, it, it will fit just right. One of the things my wife does, you know, after she goes shopping, she comes home and she'll interrupt whatever I'm doing and force me to watch her do a fashion show. Okay? Uh, she'll try on all the stuff she just bought, sometimes in different combinations, you know, and she'll ask me for my opinion. It's great, I guess. <laughs> sometimes, you know, we just need another perspective. Right? And I do the same thing when I am trying on clothes, right, in the dressing room in, in, at a store. I'll, like, call, like, help. You know, it's embarrassing, but we do it. We need perspective. And just like we need that for physical clothing, we also need it for our spiritual clothes as well. The old clothes of sin and selfishness might feel comfortable only because we've been wearing them for so long. You know, and we're used to them. We might even think that we look good. But I have to tell you, honestly, that bitterness looks terrible on you. That gossip you just put on just does not work. That pride you're wearing clashes with everything. Take off the old self and instead, on, instead put on the true new self. The real you. Our true self is who we are at our best. It's who we are when we are most free from fear and secure in who we are. When we are most loved. It's us when we are most loving, kind, and generous. Our true self is humble and not easily offended. Our true self experiences awe and wonder easily. And doesn't give in to cynicism. Our true self is full of hope and joy and freedom. And when we're living in our true self, it gives life to everyone around us. Isn't that who we want to be? The good news is that is who we already are. That is who we really are in Christ. But just like putting on clothes every morning... Our daily task is to remember, to take off the false self and put on the true self. And the only way to do that is to actually do it. It's through practice. Remember, Paul tells us to put to death, rid ourselves, take off that false self, and instead clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience instead. He tells us to forgive one another and put on love. And notice these are all imperatives, commands. No one ever became more like Jesus by just sitting and listening to sermons. Coming to church on Sundays, singing songs to Jesus is wonderful. But the point is to actually do the things that Jesus did 
So just like trying on new clothes, you're never going to know how they fit or how they look unless you try them on. So even if it feels a little unnatural at first, try on mercy and kindness and service. See how it feels. Try on courage and stand up for the marginalized and the oppressed. See how that fits. Try on forgiveness. You look great. Choosing the true self over the false self is not just a mental exercise. It requires action and putting things into practice. When we find ourselves in a conflict or a difficult conversation, fear and insecurity, that false self makes us want to defend ourselves, right? Or go on the offensive to fight for our position and win. And there have been times when I've been in an argument with my wife, and we reach a stalemate, right? We are both hurt and bitter, and neither of us wants to give in. It's in that moment, putting my pride and anger to death literally feels like death. And putting on humility and gentleness is not some abstract idea. It's breaking down the wall between us and reaching for her hand and saying, I'm sorry. What might it look like for you to try on your new self, your true self this week? Maybe it's an unexpected act of kindness for a neighbor or a friend. Maybe it's reaching out to someone and having a long overdue conversation. Maybe... Instead of running straight for your friends after service, you can introduce yourself to someone you haven't seen before in case you can help them feel welcome. Try something on and see how it fits. You might like how you feel. I, am a, I have a very developed sense of uh, taste in film. Uh, and There's a profound gospel moment in a critically acclaimed film that no one, none of you have probably ever heard of. It's called Moana. Um, Anyone? I didn't think so, yeah. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm really sorry if you've not watched Moana, but hey, it's been years, so it's your fault. Uh, this is like major spoiler alert, so I'm sorry. If you don't want to get spoiled, you can just close your eyes, close your ears for a little bit, okay? But at the end of the movie, Moana faces what seems like the very manifestation of evil. It's this giant, terrifying monster. But instead of running away or trying to vanquish this evil, she literally walks through a parted sea toward it. Because somehow she knows that this terrifying monster isn't what it seems. This creature wasn't always this way. And in fact, it was originally good. What happened was someone took its heart. And as a result, it, it lost its way. It forgot its own name. And Moana sings a song, and the lyrics go, I have crossed the horizon to find you. I know your name. I'm not going to sing it. They have stolen the heart from inside you, but this does not define you. This is not who you are. You know who you are. And so Moana heals and restores the creature back to its true self. And in the same way, when we've been hurt 
or traumatized, or maybe even had our hearts stolen from us. We might lose our way. We might forget who we are. We might forget our name, true name. We might be so afraid of being hurt again that we develop all kinds of defense mechanisms and armor to protect ourselves. We put on false selves. We might even hurt the people around us. Because as I say, hurt people hurt people. But God will always walk through parted seas. And I'm stretching this metaphor, I'm sorry. He will always walk through parted seas and cross the horizon to find you. God will always sing a song and say, I know your name. This world may have hurt you. People may have hurt you. But these things do not define you. This is not who you are. Not who I created you to be. I know who you are. And one of my favorite images in the Bible is from the book of Revelation. It describes what will happen for those in Christ. It says, God will give each of us a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Isn't that cool? When Christ is revealed in glory, we also will be revealed with him. We will be everything we were meant to be, free from fear and sin and shame, free from everything that hinders us, and on that day, he'll give us a white stone, clean white stone with a new name written on it. And when we see that name, we'll recognize it. We'll just know. Ah, finally, that's my real name. That's the real me. This is who I am. Even if you don't know yourself, God already knows you perfectly. Even when it's hard to love yourself, God already loves you with an unwavering, unfailing love. And this quote from Thomas Merton is one I've shared before and one that I come back to again and again. To say that I am made in the image of God is to say that love is the reason for my existence. For God is love. Love is my true identity. Selflessness is my true self. Love is my true character. Love is my name. In other words, God is love, and so are we. That is the truest thing that anyone can say about you. I'd like to invite us to just take a moment now to bring ourselves before God. Uh, I encourage you to close your eyes. And if you feel comfortable doing so, would you hold your hands open in front of you? It's just a posture of openness and receptivity. And I'll pray for us. Jesus, we release to you all of the fragile and fleeting things that we hold on to for identity. Help us to release these things to you and instead embrace what we have already received from you, this new life and identity in Christ. Help us to know our true selves as you already know us. 
Help us to love ourselves as you already love us. And help us to take off the old false self and put on the new. Let us be transformed into your image more and more, little by little, every day. In the name of Christ, who is everything. Amen.